Hello and welcome, Misties, to our podcast, Within the Mist, a hidden place where we walk into the dark and clouded unknown to tell stories and analyze the likes of cryptids, ghosts, and other mysteries for our and hopefully your amusement. I am your extremely overexcited host, Gary, with my wife and co-host, Goldie Ann. Hello, Goldie Ann. Hello, Gary. You're worse than a little kid. Well, this is kind of like a Christmas gift to me, so yeah, I will take that. But, however, Goldiant, I feel so bad because I don't know a lot of cryptid jokes, unfortunately. That sounds odd for you. Exactly. But if you hear any or make up a few, please share them with me. Oh, my God. Really? I slipped it in there. <laughs> now, we may sound a little tired and a little hoarse. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Because we just recently returned from the Great Florida Bigfoot Convention. This is an annual event that occurred in Lakeland, Florida at the RP Funding Center on the 22nd of January. I have to be real careful here because, honestly, we could spend hours just detailing how great the whole thing was. We want to do that in a separate episode, just so that we can cover everything that we did during the day and all the great people that we met. However... There was one part of the conference that we have to share now because, yeah, I just honestly can't wait. His childhood dream has come true. (laughs) And with that, why don't we take a walk within the mist? During a VIP meet and greet the night before the Great Florida Bigfoot Conference, Lauren Coleman agreed to an impromptu interview. We stepped outside (laughs) of the building amongst the Florida crickets and the sounds of trains in the background. It was here that we enjoyed discussing his over 60 years exploring the world of undiscovered animals and cryptozoology. Today, we discuss and interview author, television consultant, and legend, Lauren Coleman. Lauren Coleman is one of the world's leading experts in cryptozoology. Globally, he is an honorary member of the British Columbia Scientific Cryptozoology Club and several other international organizations. He's also a life member of the International Society of Cryptozoology. He was born in July 12 of 1947 in Norfolk, Virginia, and began his researching since he was a boy in 1960, when folklore surrounding the Yeti first caught his attention. His work has encompassed dozens of books and more than 300 articles. He has made appearances on television and radio programs and as a consultant to shows dealing with the paranormal, such as In Search of, Unsolved Mysteries, Ancient Mysteries, Monster Quest. Coleman holds an undergraduate degree from the Southern Illinois University, Carbondale, where he majored in anthropology, minored in zoology, and did summer work in archaeology. He received a graduate degree in psychiatric social work from Simmons College in Boston and was even admitted to the Ph.D. program and took doctoral coursework in social anthropology at Brandeis University and in sociology at the University of New Hampshire's Family Research Laboratory. Since 1980, he has been an assistant slash associate professor, instructor, research associate, and documentary filmmaker. He still contributes articles and cryptozoology columns as well as tour as a speaker across the country and internationally on the subjects of cryptozoology. 
During the 30th anniversary of the famous filming of Patty, the Californian Sasquatch, on October 20th of 1997, Lauren Coleman was one of the first 10 inductees into the Roger Patterson Memorial Bigfoot Museum in Portland, Oregon. In 2003, he founded the International Cryptozoology Museum in Portland, Maine. His years exploring and uncovering items connected to the cryptozoology have now become donated into this nonprofit legacy for the future. He's even working on opening a bookstore slash archive in Bangor, Maine, which would contain a collection of over a hundred thousand books. Lauren Coleman has had a long and illustrious career. So during the VIP meet and greet dinner held on the night before the second annual Great Florida Bigfoot Conference, we had to introduce ourselves to Mr. Coleman. I mean, I did the standard asking for a photo and letting him know how much of a fan I was. And I also took the risk of asking if he would be interested in granting an interview for a podcast sometime in the future. <laughs> I will have to say that you, you held your cool. You didn't fangirl too much. It was very difficult for me to do. <laughs> I honestly did not believe it when he said that there would be no time like the present and asked if we wanted to conduct the interview right then and there. At first, I hesitated because, one, there were a lot of other people who wanted their chance to meet him, and two, I just honestly was not prepared. That hesitation lasted about a split second. My apologies to anyone at the meet and greet dinner and the three of us walked outside of the lodge that was hosting the dinner. Outside, there were crickets and even a distance train. But it gave our interview that true Florida feel. With my iPhone voice recorder running and a million things I wanted to ask him, we started the following interview. <laughs> all right, this should pick up all the voices very easily. Okay. Um, Mr. Coleman, uh, we appreciate you taking some time for us. Sure. Uh, is this your first time doing the Florida conference? This is the first time to this conference in Florida. Uh, I've actually had conferences here uh, from the museum. The museum. At St. Augustine. Augustine. Yeah, in 2016. And uh, I have been coming to... Florida since the 70s to uh, camp out and explore the Everglades and do different investigations down here. So it's not certainly the first, first time, time for yeah. Florida. That's awesome. Yeah. Anything well, good on your explorations? <laughs> well, I've interviewed, uh, for instance, um, I think it's called the Desert Ranch, you know, uh -huh. the, the Mormon area right uh, because there were some reports from the 1970s so i interviewed some of the people there and some of the people around there uh, to get some background for some of the cases long before some of the ones you've been hearing from uh, certain skunk ape centers and stuff right. i dug into the older reports where they weren't really contaminated with bigfoot it was more purely ape reports uh, which I find much more interesting right. to really verify what I'm looking for. Well, speaking of apes, you were the primary supporter of the Mayaka ape. Yes. Especially yes. the photographs. Yeah, I was the one, uh, David uh, Barksley and I, he found the photographs through a friend of his that was an animal control agent. Uh 
and then sent it to me, and I did a lot of the investigating behind it and interviewed different people. I was the one that tracked down the specific, um, you know, those things that they used to have in the middle of shopping centers that were where they developed film. Oh, yes. Yeah. Those one-hour photos. Uh, right, right. <laughs> and so I found the exact one based upon the numbers on the back of it. And we found that and we got the people there to look at their batches and tried to backtrack it. because, But they couldn't identify the exact person. The original story was, of course, this uh, elderly woman who uh, had a, a bunch of, you know, the pimentos i guess they're called right. and she would hear this ape-like creature she uh, they all called it the orangutan and she <laughs> would left apples on her back porch ah, and it would steal those sorry. so she just took her instamatic camera and took it out there and just flashed away and got <laughs> these two incredible pictures and uh, it looks like an orangutan or a skunk ape right <laughs> Yeah, they're some of the most clearest pictures. And in fact, a lot of people compare the photos of that with an orangutan uh, comparing the different features. Yes, yes. What do you personally feel? Do you think it's an orangutan or an orangutan variant? Or, Well, I think that it uh, remains to be seen. We have to be open-minded. And what I'm going to be actually talking about down here is uh, my investigations looking at the records of uh, slave ships uh, because I think for a long time I thought about you know was it trypithecine was it uh, you know escaped chimps escaped orangutans and none of those really would pan out too well because most places uh, like the circus uh, people up in Sarasota if something escapes they know exactly which animal it is and more often than not most escaped animals come back because they know where they're fed uh, <laughs> yeah whereas uh the the part that has really been dropping off of most investigators uh handbook is the fact that the slave ship captains would bring pets they would bring mm -hmm. Uh, chimpanzees, monkeys, different things like that. And so I've been investigating the possibility that the slave ships brought over these and that there's small pockets of breeding populations so really from new. Louisiana. Well, it's it's kind of... From you. Yeah. That's I, I've, I've been writing a little bit about it, but I never have presented it like this. Ah, I can't wait to hear that. Yeah, me, me too. <laughs> now, is it something that you're producing in an upcoming book? Um, I probably will put a, a chapter in it to really, uh, and I'm hoping to, like what oftentimes I do. For instance, I've been, I've been uh, talking to a lot of people about uh, coins that are from the 1600s and 1700s from Germany, which are the the little, they're called uh, fares, which is how the word dollar came about. Right. And they actually show on their, oh, little train. How, how nice, how, yes, how nice of you to arrange all of this uh, very, yes. Backwoods, Florida <laughs> sounds for me. We so, so there's different people that feel that 
these are Neanderthal Bigfoot type creatures from mm -hmm. Germany. And because of that, now I'm seeing on eBay, they're not called, you know, Thayers or something. They're called Bigfoot coins. Oh no. And it's, it's that really, layman term. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think what I, I'm trying to do is stimulate people to, who are doing slave ship research to really do dig a little bit more into the animals that were on these ships. Because right. I've, I've been researching this for a while, and there's only two animals that most people talk about in slave ships. Rats and yeah. sharks huh. around them. Right. But there's other things going on. So I'm, I'm just interested to see what I can do with stimulating it. That would be great. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, it's a brand new take that I wasn't aware of. Yeah. And especially for people in Florida. But the other thing that I'm going to let, let people off the hook, so to speak, is that slaves were not sold. Uh, most of the transportation of human beings came to Georgia, the Carolinas, right. and uh, Virginia, actually, and Florida, except for one city that I happen to love, St. Augustine, mm -hmm. uh, really was the... Uh, the slave port. <clears throat> okay. So you also are the owner and operator of the International Museum of Cryptozoology, correct? Well, almost. Almost. Uh, it's a nonprofit, so I founded it. Okay. And I don't own it, and I'm very clear about that. It's my legacy, and nice. that was part of what was really important to me, that people understand that all of my things, things, objects, art, artifacts that I've collected from 1960 up through and including this year wow. and beyond are all being donated to the museum so that after I die, it will live on and people are donating stuff all the time. But we have the hair from the Yeti from 1959 expeditions. Um, I did want to talk to you about yes. that because we recently did an episode about the Yeti uh -huh. and I read that you were the one that basically discovered the connection with Jimmy Stewart and the smuggling of the uh, bone out of the out of the country. Is that yeah, correct? yeah. I actually, uh, I talked to Jimmy Stewart. I got a letter from him uh, to verify that uh, he actually helped Peter Byrne. Um, Peter Byrne put, stole it, stole the piece of, of the hand from a monastery, the Panbache monastery and snuck it across the border of Nepal into India in his backpack. Then he gave it to uh, Jimmy Stewart and his wife Gloria and Jimmy actually put it in his wife's lingerie <laughs> compartment. Well, no one's going to look there. Right. Really and so that's actually what happened. It went to London and arrived missing. And so he was staying at Ritz Carlton or something, and the uh, you know person came around and said, "Here's your bag. We found it the next day." And uh, Jimmy said, "Did you look inside? Did you look in, sir? We would never look in the, the <laughs> woman's lingerie, you know." And so it was all yeah. flustered and everything. But uh, and then he gave it to um, the zoologist and he did the sampling and said that it looked like the back of the hand of a Neanderthal. And so, um, and then what occurred, and that was 
you know, fast forward 40 years later where they rediscovered the, the skin and everything and they gave part of it to me and then I gave it to different, uh, you know, zoologists like uh, Brian Sykes and to certain TV shows. And uh, the University of California and some other people found that they thought it was human, partially human. And Brian Sykes, however, has done different levels of deeper DNA testing and found that it was actually, because he had the samples from the individual, right. it was actually the DNA from Peter Byrne that had yeah. contaminated oh. the sample. So it was a contaminated <laughs> sample and wasn't a human there's something deeper underneath there that's non-human. And so that's quite fascinating. And it, the story it continues. And, and then suddenly, uh, a couple of years after that, uh, Brian Sykes died. Yeah. So um, it's just, you know, it kind of the story collapses because the sample. Nobody's... I'm glad you're continuing. It. Yeah, yeah, I am as long as I'm still living. <laughs> uh, don't, don't worry, you motivate a lot of people, including us, to keep it going, too. So, yeah. uh, In fact, uh, you're also the person who named the Dover Demon, is that correct? Yes, the Dover Demon. I, When I was um, starting out, I would investigate cases, and I mean, there was no internet there. There was just letters and me investigating. Ivan Sanderson once said that there's only a handful of us, and we just exchange letters. So I, I go into an investigation and I remember files, file yeah. folders, actually had file folders, didn't use computers back then. And I would come up with a name to put on the folder to do the investigation. So, you know, there was this little creature, it was Dover, Massachusetts. I was working in a children's home right next across the border and found that at the Dover Country Store, the drawings and things. And I said, well, I'll call it the Dover Demon. You know, <laughs> organize my brain around that way. And so the Dover Demon, the Napes, the North American Apes, the mm -hmm. uh, Phantom Panthers. Uh, I actually was the one that uh, was an early investigator in 1981 of the Phantom Clowns. Oh, um, really? I named that. I, I, just so many awesome. different names that I've, some of them, like, uh, there's a little town in Maine called Leeds, and it, uh, there was something called <clears throat> the Leeds Loci, and, or Loki, and right. I named, and didn't catch on, so it doesn't <laughs> always work. <laughs> I like alliteration for my names, just to, because I can quickly, you right, know. Right. And they capture the public's yeah, attention, which yeah. is what you want. Well, the Dover Demon beyond anything I could ever thought of because there's actually little figure beings uh, that are created in Japan of the Dover demon. And I, you know, 40 years after it, I found out about that and I said, wow, I guess that name worked. Yeah, definitely <laughs> did. Now, Maine has a lot of cryptids itself, like uh, the specter moose. Yeah. That's, so do, that's, you, do you get cases coming into you all the time since you're local? Well, a lot of people come in, you know, people come to the museum from all over the country as well as Japan and Europe and everything. And because they just come in and they're interested in different things, they bring their own stories from their own region. And because we are in Maine, it's kind of like I grew up in Illinois. And for a long time, people thought, 
oh, Illinois is one of the cryptid capitals of the world. And it was just because I was there investigating, you know, <laughs> was writing a lot of articles in Fate magazine. And same thing happens in Maine. Uh, a lot of newspaper women that I know there who always come around in October or April and say, what's the latest, you know? And then, <laughs> so like Spectre Moose uh, is is very interesting. You know, it's a gigantic moose that's all white that has stories back to the 1800s. And it was a way in which uh, hunting guides in Maine could talk to people in the Midwest and get them to come out and go on hunting expeditions. But they actually would see them too. Uh, but there's other things like mystery sharks off of the coast. There's the Casco Bay Sea Serpent, Cassie, yes. which I named. And so there's giant snakes, which tend to be uh, escapees. It shouldn't right. be held by any pet owners like oh, yeah. anaconda. We have way too many of those here. <laughs> yeah, you got, sorry, you got your own there. Just in your backyard, probably. <laughs> well, well, I mean, the Loveland frog, that's one of the uh, stories behind it is that they thought it might be an escaped iguana. Yeah, that's ridiculous. I agree. <laughs> I, I, I'm from Ohio, so I'm like, there is no way an iguana could survive February yeah. weather. Oh, and I, I talked to the police officers, and they said it was, you know, five feet tall. And mm -hmm. it, it's just one of the police officers slowly over the years got broken down by people making fun of him and saying, oh, this has got to be a lizard and stuff like that. So he finally said, yeah, maybe yeah. it was. Yeah, no, no, leave me alone. alone. <laughs> well, that brings up a good topic. Uh, a lot of people, at least in the past, have always been criticized for believing in Bigfoot. So my question for you is, for all the people who have always been criticized for believing in Bigfoot and believing in cryptids and so forth, what kind of supporting motivation thing do you have for those people? Well, for one thing, I back up and I say, I don't believe in any of this. Belief is the providence of religion of faith. We should take each case, case by case, investigate it, decide if it has any merits, mm -hmm. and then go on. But, uh, you know, it doesn't do any good. The two kinds of people I don't like to have with me on expeditions are the true believers who everything that they hear in the woods is a Bigfoot, for instance, or the debunkers, and they will try to throw out every piece of evidence, and they're not doing anybody any good. So um, any good investigator has to have an open mind, be clear that they're looking for answers, and don't come to the table with answers. And that's the best way to do you know, any kind of approach to unknown animals. That's great. Yeah. Now, when you do get a, a, a case, an encounter and so forth, what is your scientific method? Uh, do you talk to the person? Do you gain background history of that area? or? Well, I have a background in anthropology, zoology, and psychiatric social work. So my number one thing to investigate is the person bringing me the evidence, the person bringing me the story. Uh, what's their motivation? Are they attention-seeking? Are they trying to make money? Are they, do they have some historical reason for trying to verify what they think is out there? 
for instance, do they have sightings of their own? Mm -hmm. uh, do they have hallucinations, auditory or, um, you know, visual? So there's different things like that. But uh, and a lot of people say, you know, well, what did you think of that piece of evidence? What did you think of the air sample? What did you think of that cast? And I really don't skip to that part. I really look at the person first. The person who's bringing me that information is the number one object of my investigation. That tells you a lot. That's and great. They, that's smart. I like that. I never, I never considered that as part of it. As first as oh, well, that's where his first. degree comes in. Yes. <laughs> well, actually, as I told my several wives, uh, my, uh, I really think that my degrees come from the way I look at the world. Mm -hmm. You know, I I found a degree, a psychology, a psychiatric, social work, whatever, that could home in the things I needed to learn that I was already doing at 12 years old when I was interviewing somebody in Southern Illinois about giant snakes, you know. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I remember once in Southern Illinois, somebody said, come on out, we found a black panther dead on the road. You gotta go look at it. I said, okay. <laughs> no, I was interested. I really was. But I also was realistic. And the person took me out there and it was a, a dead cat, domestic cat, sadly. Yeah. And so that oftentimes, you know, I've been told about mountain lions being dead on the road and uh, gets twisted up and it was a deer. You know, people, their imaginations go someplace that most people don't realize. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. I, I'm learning so much, and I thought I already knew you. <laughs> well, he's probably wanting to inside. Yes. Oh, oh. But, yeah, we greatly appreciate sure. your time with this. Glad to do your podcast. Well, thank you. Sure. Uh, so, is, Lauren is. Coleman, uh, one of, probably the name of cryptozoology. Absolutely. Thank, thank you for you. your time. You're welcome. And definitely, well, see you back inside and see you tomorrow. Now I don't have to harass you on Twitter anymore. <laughs> and with that, we concluded our interview. Uh, how do you feel it went, Goldian? It was amazing. I did not realize he was such an amazing person. I mean, he was fun. He was nice. I mean, he was just incredibly just not what I was expecting. And he has a great sense of humor. Yes. He yes. was he was just fun to talk to, even beyond just talking about cryptozoology. Right. I enjoyed every minute of it, but we did have to cut it short because other people were waiting for him. And <laughs> Florida mosquitoes are not one to mess around with. No, no, no. Uh, the mosquitoes chased us back inside, but I would have I could have spoke with him for hours after that. Yeah, I kind of had to stop y'all. <laughs> but. If you want more of Lauren Coleman, there are other aspects that you can utilize. Coleman has made multiple guest expert appearances on television, but what he is most known for is his writing, and I will be sure to post a link to his Amazon author page. His first articles were published in 1969, and he went on to write two books with Jerome Clark, The Unidentified of 1975 and Creatures of the Outer Edge of 1978. In the 1980s, Coleman wrote Mysterious America, Curious Encounters, and Tom Slick and the Search for the Yeti, all of which became bestsellers. 
1999, Lauren Coleman co-authored two books, one with Patrick Hugh called The Field Guide to Bigfoot, Yeti, and Other Mystery Primates Worldwide, and the other book with Jerome Clark called Cryptozoology A to Z, The Encyclopedia of Lock Monsters, Sasquatch, Chupacabras, and Other Authentic Mysteries of Nature. In the year 2001, we saw the publication of his expanded and updated Mysterious America, the revised edition, as well as the publication of Weird Ohio in 2005 and The Field Guide to Bigfoot and Other Mystery Primates in 2006. Basically, his bibliography means that he has been writing on the subject of cryptozoology and the paranormal for over 50 years. Lauren Coleman has been such a much sought out consultant to many television programs. So if you're interested in watching some of his work and his contributions, I would recommend Monster Quest, Strange Universe, Unsolved Mysteries, even his early days in In Search Of. I remember that. Exactly. So he has been a part of all those TV shows as a consultant because of his expertise. So all in all, this was an amazing opportunity for us. Goldie, what were some of your final opinions about Lauren Coleman? Well, like I said, I mean, he just wasn't what I was expecting. I wasn't expecting him to be so... What's what word am I looking for? Yeah, and so inviting. You know, I was so kind of standoffish at first because I thought, oh, no, he doesn't really want to talk to us. He's too famous. He's too perfect. But then talking to him, I mean, he made us feel like, you know... He wanted to talk to us. No. Exactly. Like I said, when I first met him, I, you know, I introduced myself. I introduced our podcast. He was the one that initiated doing the interview right then and there. Right. It was insane. That just blew me away right there that he, it was his idea to do the podcast interview on the spot. Very, very amazing person he is. Yes. So I hope. To have more opportunities to meet and talk with him down the line. But even if this is the only chance I get to have one-on-one with him, uh, I'm just going to be ecstatic over that. <laughs> well, being sure to avoid the mosquitoes during our interviews, I suppose this is a good time to make our way back out of the mist and bring this episode to a close. We want to give special thanks to David Facilian and Facilian Studios for their introduction music. We would like to ask you to please leave us a review on the podcast provider you are listening to this podcast on. It helps promote our show, and we want to get more recognized so that we can get more stories out to you. We are on social media, and we love to hear your stories and opinions about your encounters with ghosts and Bigfoots and other cryptids on your own. You can reach us on our Facebook page, Within the Mist Podcast, and we are also on Instagram and Twitter. Plus, we have an email address within the Miss Podcast at gmail.com for any of you who would like to share. We love stories and hearing about your own personal experiences. For those of you that may need a daily dose of cryptids and ghosts, we have a TikTok channel which gives a few minute clips about a story involving some of your favorites and some unknown creatures and spirits. We at the Within the Mist podcast hope you enjoyed our interview with cryptozoologist and author Lauren Coleman, and we'll come again for another episode. As a reminder, if we entertained you and you want to help support the show, please feel free to donate a few dollars to our Buy Me a Coffee app 
It's a great way to show that you enjoyed our stories and will come again for another episode about cryptids, ghosts, and other mysteries. Until then, we hope you make your way out of the mist safely and perhaps a bit more curious. Goodbye, everyone. Goodbye, everyone. Have fun.